time coming up with a title, so I just titled it Faith versus Human Nature. Verse 8. Of course, we've been talking about earnestly contending for the faith, which is once delivered unto the saints. And now we're describing apostates and um, their methodology and their theology and their practice. So we'll look at, look at verses 8 through, I'm sorry, verses 8 through 11. It says, likewise also, of course the word likewise is a connecting word, takes, so it's in consideration, what he's really saying is consideration of what you've just read or what you've just heard. Likewise also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward, and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So let's look to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity we have to open your precious word tonight. And I pray that you just help us as look into this passage of scripture. I pray that you help us to uh, be, be warned, and to beware of the apostasy that's around us, and that it may not affect us, that we continue to earnestly contend for the faith, and um, that our, we would not lean to human reasoning or natural instincts as these apostates do, but, Father, that we would not lean on our own understanding, but in all thy ways acknowledge thee, that you might direct our path. So just speak to our hearts and encourage us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, as we consider... The apostasy, and here we're describing the apostates for us, and I have three things, their methodology, their theology, and then their practice, how that theology plays out, really. Their methodology. First of all, in verses 8 and 10, he says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers. So he's really referring to verses 5, 6, and 7. Uh, just like... The children of Israel in Egypt that didn't make it to the Canaan land. The angels who kept not their first estate and Sodom and Gomorrah. So, just like those, these filthy dreamers. So, he uses three things to describe their methodology. Filthy dreamers, they defile the flesh, and they use what is natural. Now, in verse 8, it says they're, they're filthy dreamers. Thayer's lexicon describes these dreamers as to be beguiled with sensual images and carried away to impious, to an impious or irreverent, no, no reverence for God, irreverence uh, or an impious course of conduct. So they, they you know, given over to, uh, as we looked at, lasciviousness and denying the Lord, uh, you know, the spiritual immorality, they, they, they have no regard for God. Uh, they set on whatever comes to their mind, whatever they put their minds on, they will do. With no regard for what God says. That's the idea here. He also says they defile the flesh. The word defile, of course, means to stain or to contaminate. You know, I, 
here not too long ago, I was changing oil in the Suburban, and it was hot. The engine was still hot, and I, when I took the filter off, it's kind of an odd place where it is. The filter, the, the oil out of the, it lays on its side, so what's in the filter drips out when you, as soon as you loosen it, and it drips down on the, uh, on the uh, front axle shaft and just splatters, especially if it's hot. And it splattered. Because, you know, oil is hot for real runny. And it splattered. It defiled my shirt. Uh, <clears throat> it became a rag. Uh, you know what? My shirt was defiled. But when it says here that it defiled the flesh, uh, one commentator described it this way. It means to follow after the flesh. And it's used of those who are in a search for persons with whom they make with whom they can gratify their lusts. Now, I don't think he's technically talking about uh, immoral lusts, as we think of immoral lusts, but you think about it. There, it could be lust for power, lust for prestige, lust for wealth, which we see everywhere today in religion. All these things are sought after. And, and the idea here is that they seek people who can help them satisfy these lusts. They adopt policies, marketing, and seek people. You know, we hear the term seeker-friendly. Uh, who can advance their cause, promote their church, get the most people in, no matter how you do it. The best marketers of the gospel. It was, uh, I was at a uh, music seminar one time. Frank Garlock was teaching it. And he said this, that a, that a middle... Tennessee University professor said, the gospel is not marketable. He said, to market the gospel, you must change its message. See, you can't market the gospel like Walmart markets t-shirts. It doesn't work. And I'll say a little bit more about that later, but, but again, it, it, it's... It, you know, as you can see here, both of these things talk about the flesh. And then he goes on and says in verse 10, he says that they, they, they speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts. In those things, they corrupt themselves. So they use what is natural to them, what they know naturally. And really the idea here is just like, What's natural instinct like for an animal? Uh, and again, the idea here is put the mind on, put on the mind, or it's just simply human reasoning. So they just whatever they use whatever is hum, humanistically will work. One, one writer said this, quote, Modernism begins with a methodological, I'm trying to pronounce this word, methodological agenda. In other words, they use methods first. What's that, that's what they promote, a different methodology, not a theological one. So they don't really set out to change theology. But he goes, goes on and says, quote, It is an attempt to make Christianity more palatable palatable to the cynical world. So what is adopted is a marketing technique, and whatever elements of the biblical message don't fit the promotional plan must be omitted. Unquote. So, 
you know, again, there's a rejection here of what is right, what is by faith, as we're going to see. Uh, and again, what they only do is lean to their own understanding. You know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. And lean not unto thine own understanding, but in all thy ways and unto him, and he shall direct thy paths. So we're not supposed to lean on our own understanding. We're not supposed to give or give heed to or adopt humanistic policies or practices for, for church planting or church building. And yet that's what they're doing. That's what apostates do. They have cast off uh, God's method and adopted a humanistic one. One well-known evangelist said this, and I quote, we know what works, unquote. Sad to say that was an independent Baptist evangelist. So, that's our methodology. It's just human reasoning. Whatever works, we'll do it. Even if it's not found in the Bible. After all, the Bible's not their, not their uh, authority anyway. So, so that's their methodology. Secondly, their theology, verses 8 through 10, again, and I have two things here. Uh, <clears throat> their theology is, first of all, they despise authority. Uh, verse 8 says, Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. So, the first thing we see here is they despise dominion. The word Dominion, or the word despise means to, to set aside or to cast off. The word dominion here speaks of power or lordship. The word is kuratos, from whence we get the Greek word kurios. No, it comes from the word kurios, which is lord or master. So, so it's, the idea here is they throw off lordship. You know, verse 4 says, the end of that verse, that they deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So they just throw off. You know, you ever hear people say this? Well, I just don't like organized religion. You know, I've thought about that a little bit. And if I was quicker on my feet, I would say something like this. Do you like your work organized? Do you like life disorganized? You know, to me that's a dumb saying, excuse me, to say, I don't like organized religion. So what do you want, disorganized religion? You know, or something that's organized is, is in order. Uh, what they really mean by that is, I don't want anybody telling me what to do. That's the bottom line. And these, these are what the, this is all about here. They despise dominion. They will not have anybody ruling over them or, or any authority. And, and look at our society. It's everywhere. Uh, 
And then they go a step further. They just they try to discredit. There's a discredit of authority. If you notice again, verse eight. Not only do they despise dominion, they speak evil of dignities. Now, of course, speak evil means to rail on or revile or vilify. One, one, one uh, I think it was Strong said, vilify spiritual beings of preeminent dignity. Um, the word dignities is, is doxa, and, and Thayer's Greek lexicon describes it this way, persons whose excellence is to redound, that word redound means to reflect, so persons whose excellence is to reflect the glory of others who are there, who others are called their doxa. In other words, they're their authority. They're the ones they look to. So, persons of excellence that reflect the glory of God is the idea here. They revile. Or they speak evil of. Or they try to discredit. James Fawcett Brown in his commentary said, Dignities literally means glories, earthly and heavenly dignities. And you notice that verse 9, tucked in here between these two verses, says, Yet Michael the archangel, Michael's an archangel, he's the only archangel, there's only one archangel. Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. You know, the devil... The devil's a dignity. A fallen one, but he's a dignity. And Michael wouldn't even rebuke him himself. He said, the Lord rebuked thee. The Lord rebuked thee. And so, if you notice in verse 10, it says, These speak evil of things that which they know not. So they speak evil of something they don't understand and they don't have a clue. They have no comprehension of, of uh, uh, authority or being subject to an authority that God has put in place. Verse 10 there, where it says, speak evil of things which they're not, it means they do not perceive or they do not understand. You know, to run your mouth about something you don't know anything about, it's dangerous. <laughs> can get you in trouble real fast. But that's what we have with apostates. It almost made me laugh. <clears throat> I was telling the family on the way over, I don't know if any of you are watching the, the Georgia house race. Um, you know, um, this, this, this house seat was vacated because Trump nominated somebody to his cabinet. Okay, so there's a special election and this seat in Georgia has been in Republican hands for 40 years. And the Democrats said if they could upset, if they could get a Democrat voted in, they would, they would throw cold water on Trump's re-election bid for 2020. I mean, it would be an automatically def uh, def automatic defeat. You know, they were making such statements like that. And boy, the CNN had polls and how, much, how far ahead this this Democrat was, and but as election day got closer, they started to tone down their, and they spent, I think it was $23 million for a house race. And the guy they had run wasn't even 
doesn't even live in the district he's running for. And they just felt sure they were going to win it. Guess what? They didn't. They didn't. Uh, I think she won by a five or six point margin. It was a lady that was a Republican. And, and, and of course, they blame, they give reasons why they lost, which shows their total ignorance of the issues. They just don't get it. They don't understand. You know, they said the guy was too nice. Their candidate was too nice. He should have attacked Trump. Well, welcome to it. Go ahead. You know, I heard on Rush the other day that one guy who's a Hollywood guy interviewed people and they asked him if they should investigate Trump and he said 70% and that said no. And only 23% said yes. And what they don't realize is they're a minority, not a majority. That most people don't agree with them. You see, they have no perception. They, they don't understand the real issues of life. And again, they speak evil of dignities. Of course, this goes on in the religious circles all the time. So, so this is their, their methodology. This is their theology. It's to despise authority. And, and you know, really, the ultimate authority is the word of God, which they despise also. That's where all authority comes from. But notice thirdly, their practice. And we have, what we have is three examples of their practice. Verse 11. Woe unto them, for they have gone in the way of Cain and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Kor. So here's three examples. So you have Cain, you have Balaam, and you have Kor, or Korah. Uh, the way of Cain. Cain, of course we know, back in the book of Genesis, Cain rejected, what Cain rejected was the way of faith. He did not believe God. He rejected God's method of redemption, of a blood sacrifice and, and substitution for sin. You know, Hebrews 11, verse 4 says that, that Abel offered, how did he offer? By faith. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. So the point is here, Abel believed God. And as a result, he brought a sacrifice, the right sacrifice. You know, Cain's offering was a sacrifice. He worked hard for that stuff that he brought. He sacrificed for that stuff. But he didn't bring it in faith. He didn't bring what God said. Faith is obeying the word of the Lord. Taking God at his word. That's what faith really is. And so he rejected the way of faith. He resorted to human reasoning. Hey, I've worked hard for this. I've spent time growing this stuff. Surely God will accept it. After all, it is the best I have. See, what he didn't realize is our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. No, what God required was a substitute. Something in my place. Something in our place. And of course, that's what the lamb represented. And of course, that lamb would represent Jesus Christ. So he resorted to human reasoning, and it's a works religion. That's what, human, that's what religion is. It's human reasoning. That's the way of Cain. And, you know, we could say a lot more about Cain, you know, how he hated Abel, so on and so But that's all fruits of that. The, the, 
the point here is that Cain's way was to do it man's way and not God's way. It was the way of works and not of faith. Simple as that. And you have a, a, a second example, and that's Balaam, the heir of Balaam. Now, it says they've gone greedily and ran greedily after the heir of Balaam for reward. Um, <clears throat> you know, Balaam, <laughs> Balaam was a prophet for hire. And there's an interesting statement in Numbers 22:34. It says, And Balaam said unto the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew that thou stoodest in the way against me. Thou therefore it displeased thee, I will get me back again. Now, if you remember the story from the beginning, you know, Balak sends men to Balaam with rewards of divination, money, whatever it was, gold, silver, and offers him a great reward if he'll come and curse Israel. And so Balaam asks, Lord, what should I do? Well, I think that was kind of dumb to start with. These are God's people, and you're going to curse them? So he asked the Lord what he should do, and God said, don't go. It was as simple as that, don't go. The answer is no. So he tells them, no, I can't go with you. So they go back to Balak. Balak sends more men with more money. What should have Balaam done? He should have said, I already told you no. I don't care what you give me. Half the world, I'm not gone. No. Instead, he goes and asks God again. And here, he's on his way, and, 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 and you know, The donkey's already talked to him. And now he says, Balaam said to the Lord, I have sinned, for I knew that thou stoodest in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeased thee, I will turn me back again. But did he? No. No. Now the next verse says this, and this is where it gets confusing, but I think if you read all the scripture concerning Balaam, you'll come to this conclusion. But, but Numbers, the verse 35 of that passage says, And the angel of the Lord said unto Balaam, Go with the man. But only the word that I shall speak unto thee, that thou shalt speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Now, go over to Second Peter chapter two. Second Peter chapter two. So it appears that God said, No, you go ahead. But did he really? Is that really how it plays out? Look at Second Peter chapter two, verse fifteen which have forsaken the right way and are going astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bozer, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. The word forbade, could you imagine how a donkey forbade you? The word forbade means command not to do something. So here the donkey is commanding Balaam, don't do this. And then, of course, 35 of Numbers 22 says, the Lord said, go ahead. But I think the point is this, and this is to me to explain these two th things, these the seeming contradictions. If you persist in your own way long enough, God will let you have it. 
God let you have it. God will say, okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Pharaoh did. Yeah, the rich running ruler did. He persisted in his own way, and the Lord let him go. Judas did too. Think how many times Judas heard the truth, was warned of the error of his way, and yet the Lord let him go. Yeah, the Lord knows, and the Lord knew, I believe, that Balaam wanted to do it so bad, he, he was going to do it anyway. If he could find a way to do it, he's going to do it. If, he, if there was a way possible for him to get to the king of Balak, he was going to do it. And he would ask God until God said, all right, let, go ahead. That's what he did. You know, that's what the children of Israel did. Psalm 106, verses 14 and 15 say, But lusted exceedingly in the wilderness, and tempted God in the desert, and he gave them their request, but sent leanness into their soul. If somebody explained that very simply, God gave them what they wanted, but they lost what they had. You see, Balaam is an example of one who's willing to compromise the word of God for wealth and the promotion of this world. He wanted both. He wanted God and he wanted wealth. And he was going to try and find and work his best to put the two together if at all possible. Even if it meant cursing whom God hath chosen. But you know, to have both is impossible, according to the words of Jesus. Matthew 6.24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. In Psalm 15, Psalm 15, <clears throat> And verse uh, 4, and it's talking about who shall abide in thy tabernacle, who shall dwell in thy holiness. In other words, who's going who's gonna to walk in fellowship with God? And verse 4 says this, In whose eyes a vile person is condemned, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord, he that sweareth to his own hurt and changeth not. You see, Balaam wasn't willing to swear to his own heart, to deny himself the wealth of this world, to obey God. You know, nothing wrong with the wealth of the world, but if you've got to get it by compromising the truth of the word of God, it'll bring judgment. It'll come to naught. What's interesting is, guess who got slew with the children, people of the land when the children of Israel passed through Balaam. So, so Balaam, you know, he was willing to compromise the word of God, which he knew for the wealth and promotion of this world. He wanted both. 
And then I want you to notice a third character, for example, it gives us, and that is Kor. They perished in the gainsaying of Kor. Um, of course, this is, the name in the Old Testament is Korah. Uh, the word gainsaying means contradiction to dispute or be in opposition or rebellion. Uh, one, one commentator described the word as simply against the word. Against the word. And of course, in Numbers 16.3, it says, And they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said unto them, This is Kor and his company, Ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then, and here's the problem right here, lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now it is true that all the, whole, the congregation of the Lord are holy. Korah was a Levite. He had a ministry in the tabernacle. He wasn't of the family of Aaron, but he was a Levite. Uh, he had his own God-appointed sphere of ministry, yet he's not content with it. He wanted the ministry and authority of Moses. And see, the real problem is in that last phrase of that verse, wherefore then lift ye up yourselves. Did Moses lift up himself? Did Aaron lift up himself? Absolutely not. In fact, if you read Exodus chapter 4, you'll begin to think, Moses really didn't want that job. He didn't seek it. It wasn't like he was begging God, let me go lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. <laughs> no, but God chose him. God lifted him up and Aaron to this place. You know, Korah needed to learn the, an essential lesson. One commentator said that we should work hard to fill everything God has called us to be, and at the same time, ne- we should never try to be what God has not called us to be. Public commentary says this, the rebellion of Korah, quote, lies in the broader idea of a contemptuous and determined assertion of self against divinely appointed ordinances, unquote. See, Moses was chosen by God. Therefore, this is not a rejection of Moses and Aaron. It's a rejection of God. Because this was God's choice. And really, you know, this, this is a, you know, ver, you know, tucked in here is verse 9, which really is a warning to be careful how we speak of authorities. And he's not talking about just spiritual authorities. You know, one of them is that Satan. He makes reference here to Satan. And, and Micah was careful how he spoke of the devil. You know, one of the things that makes me cringe is sometimes I've, hear, I've heard this in, in independent Baptist churches where preachers will say, I bind you, Satan, and I do this to you, Satan. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure you have that right or that authority. You know, you could ask the Lord maybe to do that. So we need to be careful how we speak of authorities, even ungodly ones. 
God sets up kings and brings them down. You know, these people need to be careful how they talk about the president. You see, all this is the fruit of, quote, know naturally. What they know naturally. They are following human reasoning. It is rejection of faith in God's word and in God's design. See, God's method of preaching is old-fashioned and out of date. One writer said this, The offense of the cross must be downplayed. Book-like salesmanship requires that negative subjects like the wrath of God must be avoided. Consumer satisfaction means the standard of righteousness cannot be raised too high. You know, and that's, that's our religious world today. Let's not talk about, by the way, they would never preach from the book of Job, or book of Jude. It's too negative. It's full of negatives. But you know what? There's also some very strong positives here. Earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints. He says it's needful. You know, we're preserved in Jesus Christ and called. God's mercy is multiplied. Love is multiplied to us. There's a lot of positive here, but there's also a lot of negative. And it, it boils down to this. It's a rejection of faith in God's word and his prescribed method. Again, and you'll hear this, you know, well, and I've heard, you know, different issues that, that we hold. A lot of preachers say that's a dead issue. One preacher is talking about dress standards. Something is mentioned to, to him about it, and he said that's a very divisive issue. It just All it does is divide churches. Is it in the Bible? Um, so it's a rejection of faith in God's word. And the admonition to us is, in verse 20, let's, I'm going to drop over to verse 20. I want to close on a positive note. Um, here, here's how we can avoid this. And this is what they miss. But ye, beloved... Building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So the admonition to us is to, you know, we're, we are to contend for the faith so we avoid falling into apostasy. You know, I've often heard this phrase, that every church is one pastor away from apostasy. Not too long ago, I was at a camp meeting several years ago, and this preacher, guest preacher said that, that God builds ministries on a man. And, um, and I thought about that, and we talked about it in the way home. My kids asked, Dad, what did you think about that? I said, don't agree with it. I said, that's why when a pastor leaves a church, most of them compromise. Because 
the people have never been taught. See, a lot, of, a lot of preachers don't preach the whole counsel of God. They avoid subjects like this because it doesn't build a crowd. And therefore, the people are shallow and don't, do not understand scriptural truth. And so when they are without a pastor, they don't know what to do. You know, our church wasn't like that. Now, we had Pastor Webb come over and help us, but I still say it wouldn't have been like that. Why? Because we preach the whole counsel of God. And so, and that's the admonition here, to build yourself up on the most holy faith. Uh, you have to, you know, again, this is, it's like bodybuilding. What does bodybuilding take? What does it require? You know, if I want to start looking like Nathan and not like me, I've got to start doing some exercise. It takes work. It takes effort. It takes time. Of course, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 and 20 says, Quench not the spirit, despise not, prophesy. In other words, don't, don't lightly esteem the preaching and teaching of the word of God. Titus 1, 9, Paul wrote to Titus and said, Holding fast the faithful word as he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers, those who would oppose him, those who would, would try to discredit him, those who would dispute or contradict. How do you, do, how do you, how do you convince the gainsayers, or how do you expose them? By building yourself up. Hey, if you want to fight somebody and win over somebody that's equal to you, you've got to exercise and get a little bit bigger. Stronger than they. So it's true spiritually as well. I mean, you can be a wimp physically and still do great spiritual battle. It's not in how big you are physically. It's not in how big the church is. But see, that's all these people know. That's why there's so much emphasis on size. But God never put the emphasis on the size. He put the emphasis on the quality. You know, 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that he's going to judge every man of what sort it is. Not the size. Not how impressive it looks. What sort. What kind. What quality it is. So we are to build ourselves up on the most holy faith. That faith that was once delivered unto the saints. God's word doesn't change. His methods do not change. His method of soul winning has not changed. We're still to use the method given us in the book of Acts. Going door to door, talking to folks about the Lord, teaching them about the Lord Jesus Christ, not just taking them through a little few verses and say, would you like to pray and go to heaven? No. No, might God help us to be faithful and hold fast to his word. Let's pray. Heavenly